Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Fastball pulled it. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome to your Wednesday show, March 4th. Adam Azer, Scott White. And oh, welcome back, Chris Towers. Sorry we're inconveniencing hey. you by making you be on a fantasy baseball podcast today. So, our, my friend... Andrew Julian, who works at CBS Sports as a as a trending editor, uh, was coming to New York. He's not a big New York fan, uh, oh, so I, I had to take the day off, take a little personal day, and and show him around town. Represent New York. You know what? Good for you. Next time you have to do that, you miss the podcast. No problems with it. Now, let's let me ask you guys this: on the stupidometer, zero to ten, ten <laughs> being extremely stupid. How stupid would it be to take two second basemen in your first four picks? It depends. Did you also take two starting pitchers with your first four picks? I mean, if it's Scott White, I, you probably took five starting pitchers with your first four I, picks. But, you know, I'm just I saying. suppose it depends on who the second basemen are. They, they're if pretty it was good. Marco Scudero and Nick Punto, it would be really, really stupid. <laughs> Uh, it was, yeah. They're not even playing in baseball it's anymore. Scott's Tower Wars team. Cattell Marte round three. Jose Altuve round four. Cattell Marte will be that, an outfielder. That's a 15-teamer, right? It yeah. is. It yeah, is. so you're talking about, you know, in the 40 to 60 range for those two. It wasn't like you took yeah. Cattell Marte 24th overall or something. I, Although, I was just looking for the best bats and... Yeah, getting getting Jose Altuve with my round four pick pick in a fifteen team league. I don't care if I already had second base filled. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty good. The next hitter was Matt Olson, or was that the? Uh, yeah, that was the next hitter, Matt Olson, and then Moncada, Chris Bryant. Good job, Scott. All right, we'll talk about your Tout Wars team in a moment. It's today sleepers mostly in the second half of the episode. Remember to check out the time codes. I'll help you out. I'll let you know where certain things are. Not everything in the show, but certain things in the show are. So I'll ask you for your favorites, 2020 sleeper. Also, I'm going to put the link to the Facebook group. Please join that. That'll be in our episode description as well. So Scott, who is, if you had to pick one, who's your favorite 2020 sleeper? If I had to pick one, it's Mark Canna, which I think I've voiced on many occasions. And although it never seems to go this way in the drafts I'm a part of, he certainly goes in a range where I think I could fairly call him a sleeper. I'm sure it's gone up a little. Let me check. 249 overall now. Uh, the the official ADP is 271, but 249 is where he ranks in ADP. So that's, I think, the latest you could hope to get him. But um, yeah, I I usually end up having to take him like in round 13, 14 of a 12 team league, and I'm still happy to do it because he was basically Chris Bryant for the time he was starting last year. Okay, you took him 187th overall. 
in your Tout Wars lineup last night. Tout Wars is an industry expert. This one's mixed league. Industry expert, mixed league draft, 15 teams. It's Roto. And Scott took Canna one round after Kyle Tucker. This was the 13th round, 187th overall. Brian Reynolds, Mark Canna. Those were Scott Kingery, Wilson Ramos. Those were the only hitters taken in that round. Everybody else was a pitcher. Because so. they didn't get the good ones like I did. Yeah. Now, question though, I see Yasiel Puig went a little bit later. Who would you rather have? And then and Justin Upton. Who would you rather have? Canna, Upton, or Puig? Oh. Canna. Well, really, you know, maybe you made Canna. a mistake. Maybe you made a mistake. No, I, maybe didn't, you said, Oops. I didn't make a mistake. No, it's for me, it's not close. I mean, uh, Puig doesn't have Oh, a it's team not yet. close. Come on. Well, if, if Puig had a team, it would be close <laughs> with him and Canna. Because if Puig, Puig had a team, it would be skills. him and Roto. In head-to-head, it might be Canna. But if Puig had a team, there aren't a lot of guys who can steal 20 bases and hit 25 homers. Yeah, my Yashiel initial Puig's rankings, when I, when I didn't know Puig would have trouble finding a job, had had him, I think, four or five spots higher than Canna in my outfield rankings. So that's fair. But uh, you know, even if Puig signed today, when is he going to be ready? And are we sure that he'll sign with a team that wants to play him every day? Kind of, everybody kind of has their starting lineups penciled in at this point. So Colorado Rockies sign Yasiel Puig, you cowards. <laughs> I mean, Sam Hilliard. I think that the Rockies are on the phone Garrett right Hansen's now. Already Chris. having a hard time getting in the lineup. <laughs> Five minutes in. Not <laughs> even. 4.30. All right, Chris, who's your favorite 2020 sleeper? Well, so I was worried that I was going to be talking about someone that I've talked about too much lately and that it might bore people. But since That's Scott picked Mark Cannon, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Mitch Keller. I am absolutely 100% all in on Mitch Keller. I wrote about it early in the week, and I think I talked about it on Monday's podcast. I'm all in on the Pirates pitching staff, specifically Mitch Keller, Joe Musgrove, and Chris Archer. They are all among my favorite uh, sleepers after pick 200, but Mitch Keller, I think, just has absolutely enormous upside. He uh, throws a 95 mile per hour fastball on average, which means he hits probably 98 uh, pretty regularly. He's got one of the highest spin rates in baseball on his pod on his fastball. That's a really good thing. And his slider and curveball were really, really good last season. It was actually his fastball that got hit hard and. One of the things that the Pirates coaching staff, uh, they they got rid of Ray Searage and added Oscar Marin uh, to be their pitching coach. And he's a real analytically savvy guy. And one of the things that both he and Keller have talked about is Keller needs to throw his fastball less. He needs to be less predictable. And it's 2020. That's what pretty much every pitcher except Lance Lynn needs to do. And uh, so I think he's going to be very, very good. I'm extremely excited for him. So I put together a group of pitchers that are going to go in that range. And you know, I asked you guys for like five-ish sleepers. So I had one plus these four pitchers. And you know, I, I like to get one of these guys. And maybe if the price is right, I can get two of these guys. But Michael Kopech, yep. Mitch Keller, Brandon McKay, and Dylan Cease. And C stands out because he, unlike the others, he walks a lot of guys. Uh, he did four more than four walks per nine in the minors, more than four walks per nine in the majors. But he still, I mean, he still can be really, really good. But that's an issue there. Uh, McKay and Keller, similar issues. They had high BABIPs. Keller had a 475 BABIP last year. That's probably a little unlucky. He got hit really hard. 
But yeah. And yeah, McKay got hit even harder. His, if you look at his expected stats, I mean, with all those strikeouts, they, they, they come out looking good for Mitch Keller. He has an ERA over seven. And it was a small sample size. I mean, obviously, that that contributes to the ERA being so high. And maybe it doesn't even make ex- sense to look at expected stats when you're talking a sample that small. But the point is, there's a lot of talent there. Yeah. There's a lot of talent with this group of four. And McKay and Keller, though, they had the same problem in that third time through the order. And again, it was it was small sample sizes, but they were both terrible. Opponents hit over 400 against them third time through the order. And for, for McKay, that was only three and two-thirds. It's I don't even know if there's anything worth looking at there. But if I give you those four pitchers, Kopech, Keller, McKay, and Dylan Cease, Scott, how would you rank them? Well, I go with the ones who look like they have a job right now and and Keller would be a distant number one for me because I feel like he showed more in the 11 starts he made last year than Cease did but Cease of course has a lot of upside too so he would be number two for me um I think I would go Kopech over McKay I really liked the way Kopech was trending before Tommy John's surgery he seemed like he had nipped that walk issue that had plagued him throughout his minor league career in the bud right before his call up and his numbers, his last few starts before his call up were just out of this world. Uh, throws very hard, tons of strikeout potential. I think once the health question is addressed and I guess once there's a free spot in that rotation, he'll be in and he'll just take the job and run with it. McKay, I could see bouncing back and forth between the majors and minors all year. Chris, how would you rank them? Uh, very similarly, I think I would put McKay over Kopech, but definitely Keller number one, uh, Cease, a little bit of a gap because I don't think McKay has quite as much upside as those two guys. Uh, I wrote about post-type sleepers earlier this week for starting pitcher and basically it's all guys going after 300 in ADP and that includes this group. And, um, you know, I, I, one thing that I said was if you're looking for 2018 Blake Snell this year, Dylan Cease might be my favorite candidate for that kind of leap because it's it's really just about improving the command a little bit. So right now the Rays rotation has certainly Blake Snell, assuming hell. Well, well <laughs> Blake Snell, Charlie Morton, Tyler Glass now. And then you've got Yanni Chirinos, you've got Ryan Yarbrough. These guys can be used in different roles. Trevor Richards. Trevor Richards only made three starts uh, for the Rays, but he had a one in eight pitch seven games. He had a one ninety three ERA. He had five walks, twenty four strikeouts, and twenty three and a third. So there is definitely some competition there for Brendan McKay to overcome. So you heard from Scott and Chris, their favorite sleepers: Mark Canna for Scott, Mitch Keller for Chris. For me, I'm I'm always a bounce back candidate kind of guy, and Chris Davis of the Oakland Athletics kind of do have to specify right now, I guess, with the spring training that Chris Davis of the Orioles is having. But Chris Davis is 32 years old. He batted 220. He had a 680 OPS last year. He was awful. On May 5th, he got hurt. And he wasn't really doing that well before May 5th, but he still was on a home run pace that was like, he's on pace for more than 40 homers. He just wasn't doing much else. But that's, a, you know, if his, if his season is basically up to May 5th, that's a very small sample size. He ran into the wall. He had a left hip contusion. He said his oblique area was hurting him. Two weeks later, he goes on the IL. His entire season was messed up. How much of it was the injury? I don't know. But all I do know is this. Three years in a row, 
He hit 247 with more than 40 home runs. More than 100 RBIs. How do you go from that to just awful overnight? I got to think that the injury is a part of it. And yeah, the other reason you why... You hurt your hip. Yeah. The other reason... It, 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 it happens. It's happened to a lot of players in baseball history. This but... is terrible. Seven hundred Sub-700 OPS. That's like hard to believe. Yeah. I mean, I guess well, the other I, Chris Davis. If you're is, specifying 40-plus home runs, I don't know that that's happened a lot. But if you're saying this guy went from being a great power hitter to just not even playable yeah, from one year yeah. to the next, that, that, and there he's have been 32. plenty of those guys. It, yeah. It's worth noting he's 32 years old, so it, it, it wouldn't be out of the question. But I, I 100% agree with you, Adam. I, I think you know, I think he still had like a 260 ISO before the injury. Um uh, I I think he's an obvious call there. Yeah, so he's DH only, Chris Davis, and can he pick up outfield eligibility? So he played four games in the outfield in 2019. You need five on CBS to gain eligibility within a season. You need 20 games to keep it next season. But all four of those games in the outfield were in National League parks, and three of them were before the injury, only one after the injury. It doesn't look... Unless he plays in the outfield in a, in a non-interleague game, all he, does, all he has to do is make an appearance there. He doesn't have to start or anything. It doesn't look like he's going to pick up eligibility in the outfield until, at the earliest, the All-Star break. More likely in August. Yeah, so plan on Chris Davis being DH only for much of your season. All right, guys. We're going to do an extra show this week. We're going to do a separate mailbag podcast. On Saturday, it'll air. We'll record it on Friday. We're definitely going to talk auction this week, hopefully tomorrow. But for the mailbag podcast, you can send your emails at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But also, I will not read everyone, but I'll read a lot of your Apple podcast questions. So if you want to leave us a review, a five-star rating and a review in Apple Podcasts and include a question, non-keeper questions are preferred, and you know, include like a good question that can help everybody. Those will be featured on the mailbag episode that will air on Saturday. So do that in Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five star review, a question, comment, and uh, we'll read your question. How Tout Wars go, Scott? Tout Wars went, I think, well. I think it went well. It didn't go exactly the way I planned it, but my number one priority in every draft this year which is to get four of my top 37 starting pitchers. I did accomplish that. Um, I, um, and, and it's interesting because my performance in Tout Wars last year, where I took Blake Snell with my second round pick, uh, earlier than I had taken a starting pitcher in that league previously, and then just got crushed in all the pitching categories, um, that kind of contributed to my whole philosophy of drafting pitchers this year, why you need why you need to account for the volatility of the position still, even recognizing that um, that it's a higher priority to get the high-end guys. You need to account for it, and you need to do it by drafting excess. So that's what I made sure I did. Now, I didn't necessarily, I didn't at all, in fact, expect to spend each of my first two picks on a starting pitcher. I had the seventh overall pick, of 15, I figured the top five would be the usual top five in every 
just about every draft we've done this preseason. And then whoever was picking sixth would decide between Trey Turner and Garrett Cole for me. And that would I would probably end up with Trey Turner in the seventh spot, get a nice head start and stolen bases there. Well, Juan Soto went fourth overall. <laughs> uh, is this is OBP or batting average league, by the yeah, way. Yeah, not not totally crazy because it is OBP instead of batting average. Okay. It's traditional five by five scoring otherwise, but that is that is an exception, and it it made for some interesting picks in places. One of them was Juan Soto fourth overall, which I wouldn't have done, but nonetheless it happened. So I was faced with the decision between Garrett Cole and Trey Turner, and also in part because it was an OBP league, I decided to go with Garrett Cole, Trey Turner. Probably going to be above average in batting average, but probably just average in on-base percentage. Not a guy who walks a lot. So I went with Garrett Cole and um, crossing my fingers that maybe miraculously Jose Ramirez would make it back to me in round two. Uh, He didn't, of course, and neither did Fernando Tatis. He went the pick before mine. So if I wanted steals in round two, it meant taking Starling Marte was the obvious next base stealer up. He's not a great on-base source, doesn't walk much at all, and it's not like you're going to count on, it's not like you're counting on him for a steals total this year that's going to carry you in the category. You know, he'll probably get in the 25 range, maybe closer to 30, but it's not going, it's not like your steals issues are solved by drafting Starling Marte. So it it seemed like a concession, Um, and yet if I went, if I was just drafting a pure bat, there were enough of those that I knew I could get a good one still in round three. I wasn't sure how starting pitcher was going to look in round three of a 15 team league with Chris sale being removed from the equation. I just, I wasn't confident with how that was going to look. And I wanted four good starting pitchers anyway. Were so you, were you, Shane put, Beaver were you ki- putting two. Blake Snell though? You were removing Chris sale. Did you still put Blake Snell in that category? I still have Blake Snell in that category. Uh, I am not, as high on him as other people seem to be, though, I have, I think I've drafted him in one league so far. Um, but obviously, this wasn't the stage where you consider Blake Snell. Uh, I would consider Blake Snell probably as my third starting pitcher. But Shane Bieber was there, so I took Shane Bieber. Okay. And those were my first two picks. Cole now, Bieber. having two starting pitchers that high end, I think, freed me up to really go after hitting for a few rounds. It turned out it wasn't just one round. It wasn't just round three where I could still get a a high-end bat, which ended up being Cattell Marte, who's not a zero for steals, by the way. Um, But then rounds four and five as well. Round four, Jose Altuve was still there, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Okay, I can move Cattell Marte to outfield or middle infield or whatever. I I can fit both of those guys. I have to take Jose Altuve there. And then in round five, Charlie Blackman was still there in a 15-team, five-outfielder league. That's like 66th overall for Charlie Blackman. Yeah. That's insane. That's absurd. Yeah. Ramon Laureano was the next pick, the next next outfielder. Those are three hitters who basically perform like first-rounder. They basically performed like first-rounders last year. Fringy first-rounders. Altuve was on a per-game basis because he missed some time with injury, but all three of them did, and so I feel like to get that three hitters that high-end after investing my first two picks in starting pitchers um, really went a long way to catching me up in whatever I sacrificed in those hitting categories. Now, I, 
I didn't have a steel source yet. Five rounds into a 15-team Roto League. That's not good. There were plenty of steals reaches already happening at that point. Kevin Biggio, whose value is raised a little by it being an OBP league, but still, he went ahead of Jose Altuve, I think primarily because of what he can contribute in stolen bases. Luis Robert, who probably won't be a great source of on-base percentage, actually went in the same round as Charlie Blackman just a few picks later. So people are definitely... The Luis Robert one is... Yeah. Ridiculous. People people are definitely reaching for steals all over. Um, And yet, I knew I still wanted a couple high-end arms, and I knew I still wanted to keep pace in the hitting category. So what I, I ultimately decided to do was kind of kind of use kind of kind of leverage the demand for the two scarcest but also most volatile categories which are stolen bases and in 15 team league saves those the players who contribute those were going consistently higher than i wanted to take them and the thing about those two categories is they're not really affecting other categories right they're they're, you're just kind of paying for that for what the player can do in that specific category and it's it's not always reliable that they're going to do it from year to year. So I just kind of let everybody else pay up for those. I ended up with Sonny Gray as my third starting pitcher in round six, Lance Lynn as my fourth in round eight. I even ended up with Matthew Boyd, who's not in my top 37, but he has the innings and strikeout potential of a high-end pitcher if he can make some improvements against the home runs. I even ended up with him in round 11. And so that's basically my pitching staff. I I should... There's definitely tons of strikeouts there, and I can afford to lose a couple of those guys to injury and still probably be in good shape with pitching. If they all manage to stay healthy, okay, I'm, that's that's good trade bait. It's there. There will always be somebody looking for that on the trade market, so I'm not really concerned about that. Um, hitting my best hitters, otherwise, I got Josh Bell in round seven, Corey Seager in round nine. Uh, I. Oh, I, I got a lot of upside picks later in the draft, like Joe Adele in round 16, Nick Solak in round 17, who I think won't be a zero for steals. Sam Hilliard round 18, Carter Kaboom, Tyler O'Neill, very end of the draft, Ryan Mountcastle and Mike Ford. I, I like stashing my bench in this league with hitters who I feel like have the potential to make. Uh, it, it, they're, low, they're low probability plays, but if they do break through, they could make a big impact. And so I feel like I got some of those. I got Kyle Tucker in round 12. He obviously have to pay a little more for him, but he fits that description and could hopefully give me steals. Mentioned Bart Canna, Adam, how I got him. What I ended up doing to address the steals and stolen base, uh, steals and saves uh, shortages, is I ended up getting the steel specialist, Adam, like you, you like to do, Malik Smith, yeah, in round fifteen, uh, round fifteen, like in a fifteen-team league, I cannot believe Malik Smith lasted that long. That was kind of part of it. Yeah, I kept waiting for somebody to take Malik Smith, and then I would take John Birdie, but he just kept falling and falling and falling, and it's like, well, well shoot, I had the, the major league stolen base leader last year is unclaimed. And here I am worrying about stolen bases. Uh, your team, your take... team's interesting. I, I mean, I can't yeah. believe you got Charlie Blackman. So your first five picks were Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Cattell Marte, Jose Altuve, and Charlie Blackman. And mm-hmm. I just, you have to sit there and go, well, do I adjust to all these people taking steals or do I just take better hitters? And 
I think you do the right thing. Make a stronger team. Make some trades in the season if you have to. The fact that you were able to get Malik Smith, we, we didn't know that, that you would be able to at the time. Right. That's huge. But even if you didn't come away with Malik Smith, I, as long as you're willing to make trades, I think just taking more valuable players and a guy like Charlie Blackman, 66th overall, is insane. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of somebody like Ramon Laureano, who might steal 20 bases, or Luis Robert, who might steal 20 bases given the history with the White Sox, I think you did the right thing. So what were you going to say, Chris? You should put a link to the mock draft results right up that Scott did on CBSSports.com in the show notes. Uh, I'm gonna there forget. was a lot there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For for this draft, for the Tout Wars draft? Yeah, it's up on, okay. on CBSSports.com, right? Yes, yes. yes. And it, you called it a mock draft, so I was just making sorry, sure we sorry, were talking the, about the, the same thing. Scott's write-up of his, his Tout Wars team. If you want to mm-hmm. follow along, it'll be in show notes and on CBSSports.com. I, I do want to mention... I do want to mention what happened with closers because that was the other thing that I was just unwilling to pay up for with the caliber of bats and in some cases arms that were still available. Um, so basically by the end of round 15, guys like Mark Melanson, Joe Jimenez, those real bottom of the barrel type closers were gone. There was virtually nothing left there. And so I thought, okay, I guess I'm just punting here. Well, Brandon Kinsler and Wade Davis, who people view as being even lower than bottom of the barrel, they were still out there. And then they just kept hanging around and hanging around. By round 19, Kinsler was still there. I took him. Round 22, I took Wade Davis. Hunter Harvey, who's a former top prospect who uh, showed well in the Orioles' bullpen last year, I think he could emerge as the closer there. I got him at round 24. Um, I think I gave myself a fighting chance in that category for, for paying virtually nothing for it. Everybody else was paying an upcharge for it. And I, I paid practically nothing. I have two front runners for saves right now. Now, Kinsler and Wade Davis, I, I don't have much confidence they're good enough to keep the role, but they have a history in the role. They, they could keep it. It could work out fine. But mostly, I just hope they keep me afloat until... Uh, until new options emerge on the waiver wire, which always happens uh, okay. among safe sources because it's there's so much turnover there. One final question. If this had been a batting average rather than OBP league and you had the seventh pick, would you have taken Trey Turner over Garrett Cole? That's what my rankings say. I don't know if it's another situation like Acuna versus Trout where uh, I, because I went against it, I then go and change my rankings. That that was ultimately the deciding factor for me, where I said, okay, Trey Turner is good for batting average. He's pretty ordinary for on-base percentage. Is he a, a high-end enough player, all, all things considered, in this format, for me to devote my first-round pick to him? And I decided no. Um, but that wasn't... The only consideration, I started thinking about the injuries he'd suffered over the years. I started thinking about uh, what my power numbers would look like if I wasted this chance to grab a high-end pitcher and um, and then so then I had to take one later and wasn't able to take a power bat at that point. So there were a lot of things that factored into it. I, I think if it's a 12-team league, 
where I the player pool's not going to be stretched as thin and it's batting average, I probably would take Trey Turner over Garrett Cole just so I could relax about the stolen bases. But it's a close call. All right, good luck, man. I like your team. Let's see how it does. News and notes, Justin Verlander pitched, so it looks like he's, you know, he's in good shape. No issues there. Blake Snell played catch, making progress, I guess. The Brewers are close to signing Christian Yelich to a long-term deal, which will steal. seem to be kind of a steal. Yeah, yeah. A.J. Puck has a mild left shoulder strain. Where did A.J. Puck go in Tout Wars P.U.K.? He went 17th round, first pick of the 17th round. I don't want to do the math. But <laughs> he went just ahead of Adrian Hauser. 16 times 15 plus one. Let me check. Yeah, we could probably do that. <laughs> 241. Oh, I was like right there. I was about to say 241. He went right ahead of Adrian Hauser and Chris Archer and Anthony DiSclefani. Scott, what do you think about those four? Puck, Hauser, Archer, DiSclefani. My favorite is Hauser. My second favorite might actually be, now that there's a health issue for Puck, it might actually be DiSclefani. But Puck is, if you're going for upside late in a draft, Puck is the better choice there. Oh. And Adam Eaton Chris left, likes Archer. left with hamstring tightness. And he I mean, he might be like a leadoff man for the Nationals, at least against righties. So it's going to be an opportunity for someone in Washington. Spring training notes, risers and fallers. Are there any big, big spring training risers so far? Well, we've never seen Lewis Brinson get off to a really <laughs> good start in the spring and then uh, struggle. <laughs> Come regular season, so I think Lois Brinson being awesome has to be at the top. Of yeah, the batting four twenty nine entering Wednesday. Yes, he was the star of spring training last year. Marlins outfielder Lewis Brinson. I for, for know, like the first week. He was the star of the first week of spring. Oh, is that training. it? <laughs> yeah, he had five home runs in his first seven games. And then I think yeah. he ended up with like twenty four strikeouts and three walks or something. Yeah, I took him in Tout Wars last year because it was early in spring training. But, <laughs> I, I mean, for like, upside for my bench. You don't want to take too much out of spring training stats to begin with. You right. definitely don't want to take too much out of spring training stats after a week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something to watch with every single one of these guys. Chris Davis uh, with a C. Mm-hmm. You know, he added 25 pounds of muscle this mm-hmm. offseason, which is a lot. To his eyes. That's a lot. Because he has a lot of muscle. They all went well, to his eyes because he has I six walks, one strikeout. Of muscle. I may have I may have mischaracterized it. He gained 25 pounds, mostly through strength training. It's a lot. It's a lot of weight to put uh-huh. on. But he said that it the, the idea was that it would help him hit for power more easily and more naturally and not have to kind of stretch for it. Now, right. I don't I didn't think that. Chris Davis ever really had to stretch for power? Kind well, of thought it, that was, it was his whole thing. A, it was more of a mental thing from what I understood. Like yeah. he had the confidence that he didn't have to overswing now. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. I Probably I not. really for me, Ian Happ is my favorite spring yeah. training riser, Cubs outfielder batting four sixty seven with two home runs so far, one walk, one strikeout. This is entering Wednesday. And, you know, did some pretty good things last year in a, in a quiet way. Post-hype sleeper Ian Happ. Will he, be, will he be a regular player for the Cubs? He'll have to win the center field job. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Albert Almora, who's probably a better defender than Ian Happ, although he's been even worse as a hitter. So we'll see. I think that one's going to come down to the wire. And I think both will play. Almora did 
met with a hitting specialist. I want to say this off season and made some swing changes and yeah, he you know, did that last off season too. I, I, I bought, I bought into Albert Almora as a, as a sleeper last year and yeah, he keeps trying. That's I would, good. Say, I would say that see. most of the risers in spring training and it is probably the way it should always be. It, it more has to do with the things the organization is saying about them and, and how it looks like their role is shaping up as opposed to what they've actually done. Uh, and, and for me, the, for me personally, the biggest, and I think what I've seen in drafts reflects this, the biggest is Josh, Josh James of the Astros, who looks like he has the inside track on the fifth starter job. He averaged almost 15 strikeouts per nine innings. I think it was like 14 and a half strikeouts per nine innings as a reliever last year after a really strong minor league showing the year before, but walks were high for him. Made adjust, an adjustment to his delivery. He's more linear to the plate now, he says, and should mean more strikes. If you put that kind of strikeout potential in the starting role and you take away the walk concerns, I mean, what are you talking about? You're, you're, like, you're, that's high-end potential there, clearly. Yeah, I'm he, almost as excited about him as I am Jesus Luzardo at this point. He... Uh... In 2018, between the majors and minors, he threw 137 and one-third innings with a 3.08 ERA and 200 strikeouts. Josh That's James. That's not Josh James of the Houston Astros. Yes. That is not Pitcher. out of the question. <laughs> yeah, all right, we're season. excited about 200 him. 200 strikeouts and a low three ERA is an eminently uh, gettable. It's in the high end, but it's possible. What about Ryan Mountcastle, Scott? You drafted him in Tout Wars, another first baseman for Baltimore, batting three thirty-three with a home run, no walks, three strikeouts, three doubles. Yeah, he's really interesting. I think the upside is probably Nicholas Castellanos-like. Not necessarily the super-powered Nicholas Castellanos some people are expecting this year in Cincinnati, but just normal Nicholas Castellanos. He, he was so good at AAA. I think he won... MVP of the International League. He was he was so good at AAA that he should have gotten called up. If it was a contender who needed another bat, I'm sure he would have been called up. But the Orioles are playing the service time game. I suspect he'll be up by May. It's, it's not like they don't have places they could put him. Part of the problem has been finding out a place to put him because he's pretty bad defensively. But he's he's capable of playing all four corner spots in field and outfield. And... uh and, and yeah, I'm sure he'll be up and a pretty good hitter. Not a good on base guy. Doesn't walk a lot, but neither does Nick Castellanos. The the uh, the comparison applies. There you go. In that regard as well. Ryan Mountcastle for the Orioles. So uh, Ian Happ, Lewis. Well, not really Lewis Brinson, but Ian Happ, Josh James, Ryan Mountcastle, Chris Davis. Players to keep an eye on here as spring training risers. But it's early, and we'll keep checking in on it. Email of the day. Hmm. Do I want to get into this? A, I'm not sure. I think we can answer it pretty quickly. Okay. Jeff from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. For the life of me, I can't figure out how to view shortstop and third base. I understand the sentiment of looking for the best player, and there is a part of me that says to be the best player at a loaded position like shortstop and third base means that what you bring is truly special. There's another part of me that says because third base and shortstop are so deep, I can find someone at another position who can bring to the table what a Francisco Lindor or a Nolan Arenado can, and then I can fill in those two le- deeper positions with later talent that is far superior than the talent taken at other positions. Which is the correct view to take? Yes. 
It's not positional scarcity. It's statistical scarcity. Well, um, we don't even know if this is a roto you, league. What? We don't even know if this is a roto league. Yeah, right. That's true. Right. Sure. Sure. But it's even more obvious in a points league because you just draft the best player. You want the most points. And yeah, roster construction plays into it. And, you know, you might reach a point where I found myself in, in head-to-head mock drafts this year where I would really like to draft Corey Seager, but I just don't have a spot for him at that point in the draft. You run into that issue. But at this point, as Scott has said many, 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 many times, uh, there's enough hitting. You don't really need to worry about the positions. If I could add something to that, I would say that it it also... when. It, the, the argument it seems like Jeff is making here is something we've made for catcher. Adam, we were talking about it just yesterday during the mock draft with B-Don of Razzball, how it makes sense to pay up for like JT Real Muto um, in, in a shallower league, in a shallower one catcher league, because it gives you an advantage at, it gives you such a clear advantage at the position. And that's, that's a case where it makes sense to pay up for the highest end guy. Um, and it, that might be true at a deep position as well in some certain cases, but it's, it's not always, it's, it's not always clear that the number one guy ranked at the position is that far ahead of the number eight guy at the position. You know, it, it just depends on just because somebody happens to have that number one next to his name. You don't need to like you you can't assume that it's going to be that much better than what the rest of your league has. You have to look at what the actual players are, what they provide. And uh, I've made the determination that Francisco Lindor isn't that much of an upgrade over Marcus Simeon. Now, certainly well, in terms of security. Yeah, he is. I mean, other people <laughs> could make a case otherwise if they're if they don't have the same comfort level with Marcus Simeon as I do I I get that but I've decided that it's it's close enough that I'm happy to pass up Marcus Simeon there now as Chris was saying if you're talking about specifically a categories league roto league then you have to factor in skill scarcity and obviously the guys who steal bases and the guys who don't it makes a difference there but if you're talking about just overall production like in a points league context yeah I I don't I, I don't think this year it makes sense to pay up at shortstop and third base, third base. It might more actually up to a point. I think it might at third base. I think the top four at third base have an advantage over the rest. But beyond that, if you're talking about Rafael Devers versus uh, who's number four, Eugenio Suarez, Jose Ramirez. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you who's number one. SeatGeek is number one. The best ticketing app. It is not even close. Other ticketing websites, they make getting to the event difficult, and it seems like they're doing it on purpose. They don't care. They're so big, they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. But SeatGeek really cares about the customer. They make it a great experience. They prove there is a better way, and they put all the tickets that you're looking for in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. And you better believe that I got the SeatGeek app on my phone. And you better believe that everybody I know, I've told them, hey, yo, you listen, you want to go to a game? You want to go to a concert, comedy, theater, whatever? 
you get the SeatGeek app. It's the best way to go, and we'll save you some money. How about a promo code? 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase with the promo code FANTASY. So you get the app. It's got over 50,000 five-star reviews, by the way. Pulls millions of tickets in from all over the web. You search for an event. You see these great values. They tell you which values are the best. You buy your tickets. Use the promo code FANTASY. You know when the Yankees season starts, I'm going to be going to plenty of games. I'm going to be using SeatGeek to get there. So download that app and use our promo code. It's FANTASY off your first purchase. You get 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code FANTASY for 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Sleepers, here we go. It's time. All right, we have given you so far Mark Canna from Scott, Mitch Keller from Chris, Chris Davis from Adam. Chris, I'll give you uh, give me two fun sleepers. Two fun sleepers. I'll stick with starting pitcher, and I will go first off with Corbin Burns, who you may remember uh, as the worst pitcher in baseball in 2019. He was an absolute disaster. Corbin Burns is going to be a star. Mark it down. And I know Scott has Corbin Burns in his sleeper column as well, I believe. I do not, actually. Well, you should. I did write about him in one of my spring training notebook pieces. He has a 94-mile-an-hour slider. His slider was his best pitch last season. He threw it uh, on average about 88 miles per hour, which is really hard for a slider. But now he's... uh, He's been messing around. He's tightened up that slider. It's going to be 92 to 94 this year. That's the Jacob deGrom range. And uh, look, his fastball got crushed last season. There was probably some bad luck there. He's got really good stuff. He throws really hard. I think there's sky-high upside here. I think there's similar upside to someone like Mitch Keller, someone like Josh James. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if Corbin Burns is going to have a rotation spot but he has an ADP of 542nd. So I'll take a chance. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Even if he doesn't make the rotation, if you're in a Roto League, you know, he, he had a 261... Back in 2018, he had a 261 ERA. So maybe he could just be a really high strikeout pitcher in the bullpen and give you some good ratios as well. Corbin Burns. I just... I worry about guys who are great in the bullpen. Being great in the bullpen does not mean you can be good in the rotation. You've got to have the arsenal for it. And uh, I'm not sure he does, and I'm not sure Adrian Hauser does either, which is what scares me a little bit. I mean, I think back to Daniel Bard. I remember him being the the Sparpo, Sparpo of the year, you know, back in the day. And Burns was obviously terrible going into the rotation. It, it's not that easy of an adjustment. That's all I'm saying. But I guess no, it's not. But for it there was a lot of like, he didn't pitch well, but there was some bad luck there as well, like we talked about with. Uh, with Mitch Keller, and he's got a deep-ish uh, arsenal. Like he's got, uh, you know, a changeup, a curve, a slider, and a four-seamer. He doesn't. He didn't, he didn't throw, throw the changeup all all that much last season, but you know there were decent results from it. He got a lot of swings and misses with his slider, curveball, and changeup. Now, you know, some of those pitches got hit really, really hard. His curveball had an eight thirty-six wOBA, which is about double what a bad WOBA allowed would be. So he's got some work to do, but the raw stuff is really, really good. Sure. And uh, he's free. And Hauser has, at least according to the numbers, a pretty good arsenal. This, that's That was Corbin Burns Chris was talking about. Hauser throws a fastball, throws a sinker, 
slider, curveball, very rare changeup. Okay, give me another sleeper, Chris. You said you had two fun ones. I said I asked you for two fun ones. You didn't say it yourself. Yeah, I I'll go with I'll go with a hitter, and it's Luis Arias, who I just love. I talk about him all the time. I think there is uh, above average contact skills with burgeoning power. Uh, he's a little dude, five nine, so you might not think it, but what we've seen in the uh, it's in the PCL, so you know the the standard caveats apply. Except that Major League Baseball plays like the PCL now, and uh, I just think with his, it's something Scott has talked about a lot in the last couple of years. If you've got a guy who's got good contact skills and they get to the majors and they can keep those contact skills, there's the potential for power. And in Arias' case, there's the potential for speed, especially, uh, you know, he, he's going to be playing in Miller Park in a great lineup. There's a, there's a lot of opportunity there. And it does still sound like he's the everyday shortstop as soon as he's healthy. I know Orlando Arcia is having a good spring, but. Uh, from everything that I've seen, it's Arias' job once he's healthy. Scott, you're on the clock with two sleepers. Fun sleepers. Fun sleepers? So does fun mean kind of deep? Because... Fun does not mean anything. It just means <laughs> having fun. Whatever you fun want to do. Fun means a lot to me. Now, I, I feel like this guy needs to be back on sleeper lists, but we're talking like a five outfield context. Uh, and maybe even a 15-team context, but that's Clint Frazier with all the injuries to the Yankees outfield. And there is a lot of buzz around Clint Frazier in Yankees camp. Of course, former, I think, number five overall pick, top prospect in the, in the Indians organization, got traded to the Yankees, was the top prospect there, but just hasn't really been able to take that next step, hasn't really had the power production that uh, people see in his bat speed, things should be there given his bat speed. Uh, but he introduced a new timing mechanism, kind of turns his front foot in as far as he can, and he seems to be really comfortable with it. He, I, I think last I checked, he hasn't struck out at all this spring, and the Yankees just say the way the bat, the ball's flying off the bat and the way Frazier's carrying himself this year, um, they're, they're starting to get excited about him all over again. And obviously with... Two big outfielders out for the Yankees. There's an opportunity for him. Now, it's interesting because I, there are a lot of sleepers for the Yankees as far as I'm concerned. Luke Voigt, to an extent, we could call a sleeper. Um, Miguel Andujar, who's been playing a lot of left field this spring. I thought he'd be mostly first base, but it's actually been a lot of left field. There's the potential for all of these guys to cannibalize each other, and maybe none of them end up being that useful in fantasy. But Frazier... Add him to the mix is another exciting piece there. Mike Ford, who I haven't mentioned. I, I think in terms of statistics, the kind of things we normally talk about when we're hyping sleepers, Mike Ford is the most impressive of all. Um, but he's limited to first base, and you know I'm, yeah. I'm not sure there's really going to be a chance for him there. But these, these are all players I'm targeting late in those deeper rotisserie leagues. Boy, somebody loves the Yankees. Ridiculous. I know. Uh, <laughs> Clint Frazier. How do you feel about those Homer's, guys? Adam? Homerism. I think Andujar is the most interesting to me because Frazier probably needs. Look, they could go with Gardner in center, Judge in right, Stanton at DH, and get Talkman out of the lineup and go with Frazier. 
right? And Talkman's pretty good too. Talkman, yeah, and he's a good defender. I don't, I, I'm not sure yeah. about the hitting. The hitting seemed like it was a little lucky last year, but maybe he's getting better. Um, but he's probably their best defensive outfielder. So my guess is they're going to want to keep him in the lineup since they have enough offense. But the Yankees are an extremely injury-prone team, it seems. And Frazier's not going to draft him, but certainly he's the guy that I run to my waiver wire to get. Well, I might draft him if if, uh, when we find out the timetables, I guess, for Stanton and Judge. But right now, it doesn't seem like they're going to be out for that long. I I think just I like Andujar a little bit better because he can play around the infield as well. Yeah, six walks, no strikeouts for Clint Frazier so far this spring. That's probably meaningless, but... I still think it's noteworthy. And he could, they never want to trade him, but maybe he'll get some value back and maybe they will trade him. Maybe they need a pitcher with the Severino injury. So Scott said Clint Frazier. He said a lot of guys, but officially it was Clint Frazier. Give me a, give me a sleeper that a lot of people are going to draft. Okay. Um, uh, let's say Alex Wood. There you go. Alex Wood, I got in round 20 of Tower Wars draft last night. I mentioned my top five pitchers. He's number six for me. Not sure the workload's going to be there for him to be truly high end. I'm not sure there's a great chance of that, but I think the ratios could be impressive. And I think for the stretches he's in the rotation, obviously with the Dodgers support and cast badging him, there's a lot of win potential there. So he should be useful at times this year. It, it sounds like he already has the fifth starter job locked up at least until the Dodgers want to cycle through somebody else, as they're known to do. He said he wouldn't have signed with the Dodgers if he wasn't given those assurances. So Alex Wood is convinced he's in. He spent the offseason, or a big part of it anyway, at at driveline baseball um, and doing some of their training regimens and... and, uh, you know, working on his mechanics, got his velocity back up is, is the point he's throwing closer to like 93 now than the low nineties where he usually is low nineties, high eighties. And the last time he was throwing that hard was the first half of 2017 when he went, I think it was 12 and 0 with like a 175 ERA and a ton of strikeouts, really exciting stuff. So he hasn't shown much the little he's pitched so far this spring, but I'm not letting it dampen my enthusiasm. There's a lot to like about Alex Wood, especially in a range where a range of starting pitchers where none of them are particularly bankable anyway. Okay, so you you mentioned driveline baseball. Mm-hmm. I just want to read an email that we got. It's from okay. uh, ugh, crap. I don't have a name here. I'll get the name. Dear Luis, Sonny, and Trevor. Reds. Reds pitchers. pitchers, yes. I feel like it isn't getting talked about much or at all when it comes to the Reds hiring the guy who founded Driveline Baseball as their pitching mm-hmm. coordinator. Do you feel as if this could have an effect on their pitching and they will have an Astros slash Rays type of effect when it comes to getting the most out of their pitchers? Well, Trevor Bauer is like Driveline Baseball's poster child, right? I believe he's their mascot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's... Uh, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure having greater oversight could help him, but he- they've already done a lot with him, and the Reds have already done a lot to fix Sonny Gray. Uh, I I'm not sure. On the high end, I'm not sure there's much room for those guys to improve, but I think where it- we could see an impact is uh, 
is maybe on some of those fringier types. Maybe somebody like Anthony Desclafani, maybe maybe a uh, Tyler Malley. Yeah, and then they, um, you know, Driveline specifically seems to specialize in increasing velocity, which would help anyone, although, you know, with, with someone like Luis Castillo, it doesn't necessarily seem like there's that much that he could gain. He's already one of the hardest throwing starters in baseball, but, you know, they also specialize in, like, pitch development. Uh, they use the the high-speed cameras and, and the spin rate machines and, and all those fancy gizmos. And and that's something that Trevor Bowers talked a lot about, that, you know, when he's working on pitches, you know, that's where he does it. And so, um, you know, with someone like Luis Castillo, if he could get that slider to take a little bit of a step forward, that wouldn't be insignificant. Oh, it'd be huge. Yeah, it'd be great. I think that's kind of... Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Severino. You know, where Severino added a third pitch and became like awesome. And yeah, he's kind of the opposite of Severino or the opposite of like Michael yeah. Pineda. Yeah, where they had they had the great slider and added a changeup. Yes, the great changeup and needs to add that slider. Yes, in that sense, yes. Uh, by the Which guy's seems name, like the easier thing to do. You would think so. The guy's name is Kyle Body. He is the driveline founder. Yeah. He's not their pitching coach. He's their pitching coordinator. And Andy Wilson is the person who sent in the email so thank you for the email so far you've heard about uh mark canna luisa ria oh, let's see mark canna who was the guy that oh mitch keller luisa rias corbin burns clint frazier alex wood let's get a couple more chris give me another sleeper well i guess i should pull up my actual sleepers column sure and go through that and while I, you do that i want to clarify something sorry i said that miguel andujar was my favorite sleeper of all those yankees that scott mentioned I think you also mentioned Luke Voigt, and he is all of our. He would be the highest ranked of all those guys, obviously. But Voigt oh, is yeah. Voigt is kind of forgotten. Before his IL stint, he had a high eight hundred like APS, close to nine hundred. Yeah, so he's not going to give you a good batting average, but he walks and he homers and he plays in a little league park. Okay, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, Voigt is actually on my sleepers list, and he was hitting two eighty, three ninety two, four ninety three. Uh, before the hernia in late July. That would be really, really good. It was a little less power than we thought, but it was a 30-homer season pace with nearly 200 combined runs in RBI. He's, I think he's quite good. I'll, I'll go with uh, someone who's going around top 100, and that's Corey Kluber, because I don't play by your traditional rules when it comes to sleepers. I think anybody can be a sleeper. I think the number one pick can be a sleeper. <laughs> that's how I play. And basically, maybe it's num- because I number think two could be Mike Trout at number two is number a sleeper. Two, yeah. yeah, yeah, not number one. Maybe. So <laughs> anyway, Corey Kluber is, I think, being really, really discounted. It actually seems like his ADP has continued to slide. When I wrote my sleepers column a couple weeks ago, it was like 90th overall. I think it's gone down from there even. And uh I don't know. It's possible that the one month we saw last year just represented the the end of Corey Kluber's career. But I keep trying to tell you, it was more than that. It was the end of the 2018 season it too. It was second though. half like, of that 2018. Was, like, he had like a mid, but he had a mid three ZRA. Sure, and I guess if he gives you a that, mid if, mid to high three ZRA, where he's going now, sure, that's a huge value. Uh, if he's if he's still going, if he's still like a workhorse, yeah. Right, but and and the thing I keep coming back to is he had a 506 ERA with 13 walks 
in uh, in his first, I think, six starts in 2017, went on the IL with a back injury, came back, and was so good for the rest of the season that he won his second Cy Young. Now, there's no way of knowing if that's what ha- would have happened last season. It's it's an unknowable uh, conundrum. You know, he might have come back from that injury and just continued to be bad, in which case it would definitely make sense to write him off. But I am not willing to write off someone with his track record of success uh, being an elite, elite pitcher. You know, he was in that conversation for, you know, what we consider the big four at this time last year. Uh, I'm not ready to write him off because he had 35 and two thirds bad innings. Scott inspired me to call Marcelo Zuna a sleeper. 93rd overall doesn't feel very sleepery, but in the draft we did yesterday, he went so late uh, in the three outfielder points league, but Scott had laid it out that the expected stats for Marcelo Zuna were in that were much better than what we're actually elite. yeah, so yeah. he and and he's been an elite hitter before. He's been an elite hitter not just once, but for half a season before playing through an injury. I don't remember the year, 2016, 17, whatever it was. He was awesome. So I like Marcelo Zuna. I don't know. I mean, top 100 pick is fine, but if you can get him more like 120 or something like that, and I think that's realistic, certainly. I like Ozuna. Scott, one more sleeper. Well, I guess I guess it'd be a problem if I didn't mention Gio Urshela, considering he's probably Another the one I'm Yankee? most often. What is with you? Yeah. Do you want to trade so teeth? Probably, I mentioned a Brave, you mentioned a Yankee. He is probably my number one most favorite Yankee sleeper because I trust the playing time the most with him. Uh, Miguel Andujar, I think, did made at least one appearance at third base this spring, but he was terrible there as a rookie two years ago when he was before the shoulder trouble, and Gio Urshela is at least average there. Some people claim he's above average. Adam is among them. The metrics say he's closer to average, but... Whatever. It's still a big improvement over Andujar. And if if the gains at the plate are legit that Urshela showed last year, then it, it's at least even there in terms of offensive production. And I might still put Urshela a little ahead of Andujar. I think they are legit. He made a big change to his swing. He wasn't really using his lower body. He was basically just... It was basically just a slap hitter before last year and figured out how to drive the ball. And he did so in a way that didn't compromise his ability to make contact, still makes a ton of contact, very safe safe source of batting average. If the power is there and he is batting, you know, fifth, sixth in a lineup loaded with high on base guys at the top, uh, he's going to be a good source of batting average. He's going to be a good source of RBI. He'll at least maintain in home runs for you. And you can get him very late, round 15 and beyond. I've made him my starting third baseman on occasion. He's my starting third baseman on my Tout Wars team. I got him in round 14. That's a 15-team league, obviously. But I'm I'm comfortable doing that with Gio Urshela. Okay, Gio Urshela. Batted. Before he went on the IL with a groin, he had a great season regardless. But before going on the IL with a groin injury, it was 114 games. He had a 924 OPS. 331 batting average, 370 on base, 555 slugging percentage. Struggled a little bit after coming off, struggled a lot after coming off the IL, and that sunk his numbers. But he was doing very well before growing injury. So uh, a lot of names for you there. Oscar Mercado, last name, Oscar Mercado. 
and can I just throw some? No, names no, out not there Oscar Mercado. I'm sorry. Hold on. Uh, what's the guy? Who's the guy I love that's on the Rangers now? That I'm calling Oscar Mercado for some reason. No, no, Mar Mazzara. Mazzara. No, Mar Mazzara. Sorry. Yeah, no, Mar not on the the Rangers. He's on the White Sox. He's on the White Sox. He was on. God, Acer, <laughs> shut up. Let the experts speak. No, Mar Mazzara is my guy. I was looking at ADP and I saw Oscar Mercado and it just threw my whole game off. Okay, Scott, go ahead. Run through some sleepers. Okay, Adrian Hazard, who we've talked about before. Dylan Bundy, I think, is a good lottery ticket at starting pitcher. Talked before how I'd like to stash away Domingo Herman and especially Michael Pineda for when they come back from there. Suspensions Pineda should be about a month sooner. Uh, in the outfield, if Sam Hilliard is even just the better half of the platoon for the Rockies, he's a guy who had 42 home runs and 24 steals between the majors and minors last year. So he could be impactful and give you some steals late too. Mike Yastrzemski, I'm hopeful for more bats from him. Dylan Carlson has been a prospect making waves this spring. Both him and Tyler O'Neill, I think, will get significant time in the Cardinals outfield this year. O'Neill, I made, I think it was my 25th round pick in the Tout Wars draft. Carter Kiboom, who hasn't isn't off to a good start this spring, but he's the favorite for the Nationals' third base job. Also eligible at shortstop, big prospect. I drafted him in Tout Wars. Um, Alec Baum seems like a good draft and stash for the Phillies, having a great spring, good on-base guy, good bat skills overall. I could see him taking over in the first third of the year at third base there. Evan White, another cheap first base option. Nate Lowe, if he breaks through for the Rays. Nick Solak, mentioned him, good on-base guy. Could he's only DH, He's DH only right now, but he could play second base, third base, outfield. He could end up being eligible at a few positions, and he could end up being a decent contributor in both home runs and stolen bases. Nick Bat- Madrigal. He may not win the job in spring training, but he'll eventually be the White Sox second baseman this year and should be a decent source of steals. And uh, Tom Murphy, big power hitting catcher, who should be the primary option for the Mariners mm. now. Madrigal. There are some some team names, I feel like. Magical. What was the Lucky Charms? Were they magical and delicious? Magically delicious. Magically yeah. delicious. Magically, Magically, yeah, not quite. I, I always think I was watching the draft coverage when the White Sox took Madrigal a couple years ago, and I always think of uh, Harold Reynolds saying, "Madrigal is magical," and just <laughs> that he was able to to get it out without stumbling. I thought it was pretty good, and not I always think ma- of that. Not- Madrigal gals and guys. That perfect. You nailed it, Chris. And we're gonna end it on that. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Those were some really good sleepers. Appreciate it, guys. And we'll talk to you tomorrow with some breakouts and probably some auction talk. If not tomorrow, then on Friday for sure. Till then, I'm Adam, Chris, and Scott. Bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, 
nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.